Good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Those of you that are joining us online, we are glad that you're with us as well. And uh, we continue to look at these practices of grace. And one of the things I love about that last song is that as we talk about these practices of grace as a church body, we have to understand that this is something that God is doing from the inside out. That as we practice these things of grace, it is really about how God is moving in us through His grace and then how it gets expressed in our lives. And as we've looked at these practices of grace, you may remember that we started by looking at confession. And Scott talked about confession a couple of weeks ago and what that is. And I know that many of you probably, you left here that Sunday morning and you jumped both feet. You're like, I'm confessing everything. No, maybe not. But you're thinking about that. What is it to offer those things to God, to say, this is who I am, this is where I'm at, and confessing those things? The following week, we talked about uh, our Bible intake, our, our reading, what it means to read. And as a church, we're reading through, uh, reading through the Bible this year. And I would just say to you, if, um, if you're still in January's part of the reading plan, it's okay. It's all right. Don't feel like this is a task that you have to do. Understand that it is a practice of God's grace. And we looked at what it is to intake God's Word in our lives. And as we are intaking God's Word, how it is transforming us from the inside out. And then last week, we looked at prayer. We looked at what it was to practice prayer and speaking. And I think even more so how it is to listen to God. We're very quick to offer our prayers to God. We're, we're quick to say, God, I need you right now. And those are great things, right? But I think sometimes we have to practice in our prayer to listen. What is God wanting to do with my heart, my life in these moments? And this morning, we're going to look at forgiveness, the practice of forgiveness, and I think when I have wa- walked through this and as we've, I've prepared for today, I think forgiveness is maybe one of the hardest practices that we have as followers of Christ. And I say that because I think, one, it's about recognizing our need for forgiveness, that we are really hard on ourselves in accepting God's forgiveness of us. But then we're also called to forgive others and man. You don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how that person hurt me. You don't know the depth of the pain that I've experienced in my life. And now you're asking me to forgive them? Because what our hearts really want in those moments is revenge. And we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. We want the person that has hurt us to hurt as much or more than we hurt. And so when God calls us to practice forgiveness, we're like, I don't know what that really looks like because I I don't like that person. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve a release of the pain that I've experienced. In my life. And so I recognize this morning that as we talk about this in a 20 or 30 minutes or 40 or an hour, I don't know how long I'll talk, we'll see, (laughs) that I can't cover everything as it relates to forgiveness. And that's one of the things that I love about doing the winter workshops is one of those workshops is going to talk about forgiveness, what it means for us and for others, that we can go deeper 
As a church, we value not only engaging with God and God's people, but we also value equipping one another what it means to live this faith out in our lives. And so the winter workshops are an opportunity for us to equip with one another, but also we value empowering, and it's allowing others in our church body to be empowered to lead and to share their experiences with some of these topics as well. And so I hope that you'll make plans for one of those nights or both of those nights, whatever it might be. But forgiveness is where we're going this morning. Uh, You may recognize this picture this painting. This painting is of uh, the Last Supper. Leonardo painted this painting, not the mutant ninja turtle, but uh, Leonardo da Vinci uh, painted this this very famous painting. And when he was was painting this, uh, he was having this bitter dispute and argument with another artist. And so da Vinci, as he was painting this, he said, you know what? I cannot stand that guy. And this bitterness was so great that he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint the face of my enemy on the face of Judas. That'll work. And so da Vinci paints the face of this other artist on Judas's face. And it was, it was not unknown to those that would see it. They looked at that painting and they saw Judas's face and they said, da Vinci has painted that guy, that other artist. And da Vinci thought, man, I have solved my bitterness issue. The root of my pain and anger is absolved in painting my enemy's face on the face of Judas. And da Vinci went on to paint and continued to paint. And then he got to the face of Jesus. And the story is told that as da Vinci got to the face of Jesus, he could not paint Jesus' face. Day after day, he would go to the painting and he would, he would start to paint and he would stop. He could not paint the face of Jesus. Da Vinci thought, what is going on? I'm a famous artist. I'm, I do this all the time. Why can't I not paint that? And then Da Vinci remembered what he had done. He realized that his bitterness, his anger towards his fellow artist was keeping him from painting the face of Jesus. So he went to Judas's face and he paints a new face on there. And then he paints Jesus's face. Because there was this release, this forgiveness that happened in that moment and he was able to undo some things in his own life. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. He said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And he goes on to say this, And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. It's a great idea. We can just forgive people until I'm face to face with the opportunity to forgive. And then it's howls of, oh, no, no, I don't want to forgive that person. It's a great idea unless we have to offer it. And that's what we find this morning, Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there to Luke 17. If you don't have your Bibles, the handout has the verses on there as well. If you don't have the handout, it's going to be on the screen. Would you stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning? Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin or stumble are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. 
It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey. All right, have a seat. You may be like me and when uh, I first opened this passage and thought forgiveness, I was like, what? Where are we going? How are we going to get there to forgiveness? Because the opening words of this passage uh, give you pause. At least I hope they give you pause. Is there some deep stuff that Jesus is talking about? But understand, Jesus is talking to his disciples one day, and, uh, and this subject comes up. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Forgiveness begins when we understand our sin. Forgiveness begins when we understand our sin. This may come as a shock to you, but everybody in this room, everyone watching, everyone around the world, guess what? They're sinners. They're not perfect. You're not perfect. I hate to break it to you, but you're not perfect. In fact, Romans 3, 22 and 23 tells us this. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for just some have, just the, uh, the bad people? No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our forgiveness begins when we understand that everyone around us are sinners, myself included. I am a sinner, for all have sinned. There is not a Jew or Gentile. It's inclusive. Sin is inclusive. The temptation to sin comes for everybody. There's not one person out there that it doesn't come for. You have those friends who have your best interests in mind. You're a teenager and you think you know more than your parents. You're a parent and your kids are making choices that you would rather they not make. It's because we are all tempted by sin. The tempter comes for each and every one of us. He wants nothing more in our relationships than to break them up. He wants nothing more than to, for us to see that sin as something pleasurable and take hold of that, and then it ruins relationships. He wants nothing more than to infiltrate our families and cause such pain and such hurt that we, we divide on those things, never to talk to each other again. As we understand sin, we understand what it is to start to forgive, because now I know that I am not perfect, and neither are the people around me. When I first came to South Hills uh, as a family life pastor, one of the first conversations I had was with Heidi. And one of the things that, um, that we were talking, we were just talking about ministry and what we were doing, and Heidi shared with me some expectations, and I told Heidi this. I said, Heidi, I want you to know that there will come a point that I am going to disappoint you. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to be meaning for it. I'm not going to be mean in that, but there's going to come a place where I will disappoint because that comes for all of us. 
There are opportunities for us to disappoint. I don't know if you knew that. There are opportunities for us to fail in front of people. There are opportunities for us to sin in front of people, and it causes divide. And the tempter wants nothing more for that to be a wedge that goes super, super deep. Because he knows if he can start to divide us, then our way back to God seems daunting. Our way back to him, Jesus, seems impossible. We have to understand our sin. No more than in generations before, but the tempter is prowling. Understanding our sin is one side of this passage. But Jesus gives a deeper implication or warning for us. One where awareness of our sin is one thing. However, allowing that sin to be a stumbling block is another. And this is where our inability to practice forgiveness comes into play. Just so that you can see some of the connectivity throughout the Gospels, Matthew 18, 7 says this, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. It's one thing to understand our own sin, but then Jesus seems to make this hard left turn talking about the warning of our sin. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Primarily, this is a warning to his disciples. We could gather in these conversations that Jesus is having that maybe he has the religious leaders in mind and what they were doing and sharing this woe with them. But without going too too deep into it, the target of this is simply warning. We can simply say there is a much higher cost when we knowingly lead someone into sin. One writer said it this way, people are going to take the bait, but woe to you if you offer the hook. People are going to trip up, but woe to you if you set the stumbling block in their way. And if you're unsure of the warning that Jesus is giving here, he he takes it up a notch in verse two. Look what he says in verse two of our passage. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, just one thing, little ones here, more, more than just children, probably has some implication to early disciples, those that are just growing in their faith. Woe to the one who would be a stumbling block to those who are working out their faith, who maybe are young or infants in their faith. But he says this about the millstone. What? Jesus, this is hard left turn. What are you talking about? Here we were talking about everybody's going to stumble. Sin is recognizable. We see those things happening. He says, but woe to the one who would be the stumbling block for somebody else. It would be better if they would tie a millstone around their neck and be thrown into the ocean. Whoa, this is a hard left. If you have trouble picturing a millstone, I brought some pictures of you for it with it. This is one millstone that Jesus could have been talking about. This millstone requires a donkey to be attached to one side of it, and you put the grain and everything that's going to be crushed under there. The donkey runs around. Jesus is saying, maybe you tie this millstone around your neck. I don't know if you would tie that around your neck. You wouldn't have any problem falling into the sea, okay? There's another millstone, though. This is more of a smaller one. Uh, The grain would go in there. This... A handle would be used to turn the millstone. The picture is pretty clear, right? 
Either one of those is devastating, right? Either one of those has no problem. If I tie that around my neck and I jump into the sea, the woe and the warning is, it would be better if you did that than to be a stumbling block to someone else. You see, the root of unforgiveness can begin to be one of those stumbling blocks to those around us. When we are less likely to practice forgiveness and we want to hold on to our unforgiveness, we become a stumbling block to those around us. You say, well, not really. Are you sure that's true? Because I'm feeling a lot of pain and I don't know if that person is. No. What Jesus is offering before the disciples is a new way of living their lives, of understanding what it is to, one, understand sin, and then how do we live out our lives in front of those around us? How do we not become stumbling blocks to those around us? How do we start to practice forgiveness? And like I said, I know there are some deep hurts that exist in our room this morning who are watching online. There are deep hurts. I don't want you to see forgiveness as a, as a simple, hey, let's just do this and we're done with that. No, but the warning is clear. We need to take these things seriously because as we practice them out, God begins to do something in us. The warning there is of these two millstones. We are not meant to be the stumbling block for others. Honestly, there's already enough things in this world that bring us to stumble and trip in our lives. He culminates this warning in the first part of verse 3 when he says this, so watch yourselves. As a practice, Watch yourselves. We have to be on guard. I mentioned earlier, the tempter is prowling. He wants nothing more to lead us away from God. My kids are reading right now uh, a kid's version of Pilgrim's Progress. And in the Pilgrim's Progress we read last night, it talks about the trip to the celestial city. But in the midst of trying to get to the celestial city is the dark city, Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair is all established in order to throw us off course. Vanity Fair exists solely for the fact that people would lose their way and get distracted and not want to go to the celestial city. As we live out our faith, as we think about the practice of forgiveness, we're living that out, understanding that I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, the people around us are sinners, there is not one of us that's perfect, And so we start to understand that sin, and then we can start to work through what it is to be forgiving. In verses 3 and 4, we see this played out. It's the second thing that we see this morning, is that forgiveness of others and ourselves can lead us to undo the burdens. Much like we talked about with confession, when we harbor unforgiveness, with others and ourselves. It can leave us carrying a host of burdens that we are often unaware that we are carrying. Look what he says again in verses three and four. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, when I think about forgiveness, I think about um, one side of it is forgiving my kids, right? When my kids do something wrong. We saw that in confession as well. The kid eats all of the chocolate cake, right? 
they own it. They finally get to the place that they say, man, I've, I can't. I've sinned. I've done it. And uh, you get to that place and uh, you confess those things. There's that one side of it um, that I, I, as a parent, I say, I, I forgive you. I, I don't really hold a grudge towards my kids, or at least I don't think so at the young age, right? They're maybe going to do that again, but I offer forgiveness. There's another side of forgiveness that is much deeper. There's much deeper hurts and pains and, and uh, anxiety that comes with that. There's guilt sometimes that comes with that. There's a much deeper root of forgiveness. And when we look at these, this forgiveness, we can read Jesus' words and say, if somebody comes to you and they ask for forgiveness, then it's just this simple process of forgiving. And I think there's much more to be said about that. But what is really clear in this passage is that Jesus says, when people sin against you, forgive them. It is to be a practice of our days. It is to be a practice of our lives. As things happen in our lives, we are to, to practice forgiveness. And it may be one of the hardest things we ever do. There's no denying the wounds, hurts, scars that others have inflicted on us can run deep. And some of us have carried those for years. And when we read those words, it may seem as though it comes across as simply, someone sins against you, forgive them, and you move on. And if they do it again, forgive them again and move on. We need to be aware that forgiveness is an extension of what Christ is doing in and through us. At the same time, when you read these words and you see rebuking and forgiveness together, you need to understand that it is not a license to just go about rebuking everybody all the time. You're like, oh, I can call it his sin, I can call it his sin, I can call it his sin, her sin, whatever it is. It's not about just rebuking without the forgiveness. And it's not forgiveness without some type of correction as well. And so if you're reading those with either of those mindsets, then you're missing what Jesus is pointing to this morning. In fact, what Jesus gives us in this verse is a balance of correction for sin and forgiveness for repentance. When it boils down to, when I read this, the question that comes to my mind is, what do I want for the other person who's wronged me? Do I want to anchor a millstone to their neck or my neck and thus keep me and them from the grace of God? Is that what I want? Or do I want to hold a grudge, constantly seek revenge and carry a burden that will bring destruction not only to them but to me as well? In order to do that and to have a better understanding, I just want to give you maybe some practical pieces. This is no way an exhaustive list but it is to address some of the maybe misconceptions we have along with the truths that God gives us in his word about forgiveness. The first of those is that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We've been told forgive and forget. Maybe from the earliest of ages, we were told to forgive and forget. And that's really not the reality. It's not possible for us to forget there are some things that are deeply rooted into our mind. And our minds are not structured in such a way that we can just toss things in a recycle bin and forget it. Now, there is the reality that we do forget things. I forget where I put my keys. I forgot that I put my coffee cup on the top of my car when I drove off. I forget what I did in my 20s. There are certainly those things that we unintentionally forget. But you know as well as I do, as soon as there are deep hurts 
or deep pains, and we say, I am not going to remember those things. I'm going to forget those things. And as soon as I start to do that, the one thing that comes to my mind is that very thing. Because I'm not wired that way. I'm not wired to simply forget. And sometimes we think forgiveness is forgetting. That I have to forget those deep hurts or those deep pains or how that person has wronged us. And the reality is that forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is a conscious decision. It's a conscious decision that I am going to make to release that person from the debt that I think they owe. It's a conscious decision. It's something that I have to work out in my faith to decide. And this is why I say it's not, it's not something that is easy for us to do and oftentimes is very difficult because the reality is I do want to forget those things. But I know in my conscious mind I'm not going to be able to, and so now I have to make a decision. What am I going to do with that? And so I decide. Forgiveness is making a critical decision, a specific course of action that I'm going to release somebody from their liability, from their debt. Another way of saying this is that forgiveness is not historical. Right? You know those people, the people who get historical. When you hurt them or they hurt you, they bring up everything that you've always done. They replay that whole story again. They're like, remember the last time you did this? They bring up all those things. Forgiveness is not being historical. Doesn't mean that I don't forget those things, but it means that I am choosing a conscious decision that I will not bring those things up again. I'm not going to replay those things. I'm not going to throw them back in somebody else's face. Forgiveness is not forgetting, but it is a conscious decision that I make. Another thing that maybe we have is forgiveness is not, fail- is forgiveness is not failing to feel. We think if I'm going to forgive somebody, then uh, the only way that I can do that is if I stop feeling. The only way that I can stop the hurt that I'm feeling in my heart right now is to stop completely any kind of emotions. The only way we stop feeling is to die emotionally. But when we become passionless robots, we can neither neither truly love God or others. And this maybe is at the root cause of why we are reluctant to forgive others in our lives. Because we know that we can't stop feeling the sting of sin against us. And we want to avoid saying everything is fine when deep down we know we have not forgiven someone. We don't just let go and stop feeling. We are not in the movie Frozen, okay? We can't just let it go sometimes and stop feeling. Anyone who's experienced hurts can tell you as soon as you think you've stopped feeling the emotion of that hurt, the pain of that hurt comes back. It resurfaces And we beat ourselves up for the feeling that that hurt is having on us all over again. Instead, forgiveness, forgiveness is the process of renewal. We need to understand that God is at work in and through us, that there is a process that we are walking through, that God is renewing us. I am working out the pain of my past. I am working out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And that does not mean I have to stop feeling. I have emotions, and at times those emotions are raw, and I need to feel those things. To stop feeling would be a disservice to my relationship with God 
and my relationship with others. In Christ, we're working out our salvation. Remember, all of us, all of us are working out our faith. I am a sinner saved by God's grace, and I am still working it out day after day. For almost 50 years, I've been working out my faith, and I will continue to work out my faith, and you will too. It is a process. We are seeking to activate this in what God is transforming in our lives. Sometimes we feel that forgiveness is, is this, a myth of it. Forgiveness is, is not forfeiting justice. Forgiveness is not forfeiting, for, forfeiting justice. Longing for justice is perfectly legitimate, but we're not called to be the dark knight. I am Batman. <laughs> of vengeance to those who have hurt us, who have wronged us. Unforgiveness fuels our lust for revenge, but revenge does not overcome the evil we have experienced. And forgiveness does not mean that you are ignoring that wrong that was done or a sin that was committed. Forgiveness is not closing your eyes and pretending something didn't happen, nor is it diminishing the gravity of the offense with dismissive, dismissive language. Forgiveness means, forgiveness means this, is letting God be God. God is the avenger. He is a God of justice. Let God be the one who avenges those things. Release that notion for revenge, that seed of unforgiveness in your life, and let God be the God who He is. He is a God of justice. He sees those wrongs. He sees those hurts. He sees what people, what evil has been perpetrated. So let Him be that in people's lives. Don't let that burden fall on you. Undo those burdens in your life and let God be God. Lastly, forgiveness is not a quick fix in these myths and truths. Forgiveness is not a quick fix. We think sometimes, well, I'll just forgive them and I'll move on. I'll forgive them and I'll forget. We've already mentioned it's not possible. Forgiveness is a long process at times. It's less about the quick steps and more about a long obedience. Deep wounds and deep hurts take time to process. It's not easy. It takes time and it's not the same for everyone. How I process my, my steps towards forgiveness with somebody are not going to be the same as you. It's different for each of us. On our own, we cannot force ourselves to let go of something in a moment. What we experience through the process of forgiveness is God changing our hearts. Paul describes it this way in Philippians. He says this in Philippians chapter 2. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God wants to work in and through you. He wants to work out that faith. He wants to work out that process of forgiveness with you. Forgiveness, like all the practices we'll look at, is producing something deeper in each and every one of us. As we practice these disciplines in our lives, it is drawing us closer to the heart of God. As we make a decision to offer forgiveness, God is also at work bringing a process of transformation in our own lives. Which leads us to the last thing we see in our passage this morning. 
and that is that forgiveness allows us, forgiveness allows us to unleash love. The disciples hear the expectation. Jesus says, if somebody sins against you, you forgive them. If they do it again and they come back to you, forgive them. If they do it seven times in a day, you forgive them each time that they come back. And the disciples look at Jesus and they say, holy cow, we can't do that. And for one of the few times in the disciples' lives, in their walk with Jesus, they get it. And they respond, they say this, they say, Jesus, increase our faith. They knew this type of forgiveness that Jesus was talking about, the depth of forgiveness that Jesus was talking about, the depth of the love that Jesus was talking about, the disciples knew, whoa, we can't do that on our own. And you can't either. You can't either. They hear the expectation and it strikes them at the heart of who they are. They recognize in the moment the forgiveness that would be expected of them was not possible on their own. And they say, Lord, increase our faith. You see, in order for us to begin to practice forgiveness, we must first experience Christ's forgiveness. Our first encounter with forgiveness is God's forgiveness of us. Our faith begins to be built on the amazing display of love that Christ has shown to each of us. On the cross, Jesus expressed forgiveness for those who had put him there. They nailed him to the cross. He hung there with the crown of thorns and the blood rushing down his head, his arms outstretched, his hands and feet nailed to the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. What radical kind of forgiveness Jesus offered on the cross to you and to me. It's a radical kind of love when we can extend forgiveness to those who have hurt us. But this type of forgiveness is only possible when we experience Christ's forgiveness of us. Throughout the New Testament, forgiving others is closely tied and linked to our forgiveness from Christ. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus even said, forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The disciples knew it was beyond their ability, beyond what they could do. So they requested that their faith genuinely grow in order to extend such forgiveness to others. And an increase in our faith means that I'm opening my heart to not withhold love from others. I don't become a doormat for others to walk over, but my posture becomes one where I am turning my heart towards Jesus to unleash a love and forgiveness that is rarely seen by others. Jesus answers them this way. He says this, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey. The disciples asked for an increase in their faith, and Jesus says, imagine what I can do with just a small bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith. Imagine if that genuine faith that you have is only that much. Jesus says, guess what I can do? You can say to this mulberry tree, a mulberry tree has deep roots, it's intertwined, it's, it's deep, and it's hard to get out, and just pulling it's not going to happen. Jesus says, even with the faith that is this small, that's genuine in me, you can pull out that mulberry tree and you can toss it out. He's saying the forgiveness that you have, the one that you've harbored, you said, I know I need to forgive. He says, all I need is just this small amount of genuine faith, not an increase. Oh, if I'd only had more faith then I could forgive. 
It's not about more faith. It's about the faith that you have. It's about the genuineness of that faith to begin to uproot the bitterness, the hate, the anger. Maybe you're like da Vinci and you've put that face on somebody else. And when it comes to Jesus and his faith that he offers you, salvation that he offers you, you get to Jesus and say, I can't. I can't accept that because of that deep-rooted bitterness that's there. What's, what's interesting about what Jesus says is that it's available for all of us. It's not more faith. It's just the faith that we can offer. The solution to not being the trap or snare of sin for others, the way to avoid tying a millstone around your neck, the process for keeping your burdens from being destructive to you and others is to unleash, unleash the love of God. His love that transforms our hearts to be open, to not withhold love or forgiveness. This practice of forgiveness is not easy. When practice, it's going to cost something. When practice, it's not always going to be received. When practice, it may not result in a turnaround for that particular relationship. Ultimately, forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. It's about setting a new path through God's grace of unbinding from the burden, pains, and hurts of our past and finding a freedom in a God who demonstrated His love and forgiveness for us by sending His Son to die on a cross for our sins. Forgiveness begins with my heart. And these words, though challenging, put us on a path to undo those things that we have held for so long, that path that we have plotted out for ourselves to accept a new path that God is laying before us. I want you to take a moment and think about those things as we pause here in our worship to understand what Jesus is calling us towards. This morning, maybe you're like da Vinci and you have that face. And you've painted them on Judas and you have painted it over and over again. And you've struggled with that pain and that hurt and that burden for a long time. What that person did, the abuse maybe. And you come this morning and you simply step before the Father, and you say, help me to pray. Let me just say their name this morning. I'm going to pray for them. That's where it's going to start because ultimately what I want in my life is for God to transform my heart from the inside out. This morning you come into this place and you know that maybe you have been the stumbling block for somebody else. It has been the things that you have failed to address, the things that you failed to confess, those things that God is unraveling in your own heart that has been a stumbling block for others and you come to this place and you need forgiveness. You need to come to a place where you say, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness in my life. For far too long, I've run from it. 
Maybe you have a life that you would say, man, I've been so far out there, so far away from God, that there is no way that he would ever, ever forgive me. And let me tell you this morning that he is a God who will forgive you. He will take you where you are and begin to transform your life. In the quiet of this moment, Father, we come before you recognizing our weakness in so many areas. We are unable to do so many things on our own, but thanks be to you for the grace and the love that you have shown us. That it's not on our own that we deal with these things. It's not on our own that we walk through the path of forgiveness of those that have hurt us or wronged us. Father, it comes to a place of recognizing my need for forgiveness. To accept that, that you take us as we are, broken, messed up, dirty, all of those things, and you say your love covers our sin. Father, we pause in this place to know that we have wronged people, that people have wronged us, and we want right relationships. We want to mend those relationships. Help us to take steps of faith that are as small as a mustard seed, even this morning. And in doing so, we draw closer to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.